Welcome, welcome, welcome to the seventh edition of Podigus, a podcast where we speak to leaders of just about every kind of organization you can imagine in order to explore the impact of technology both today and in the future. I'm your host, Delcy Bean, the CEO of employee-owned Paragus Strategic IT, located in Hadley, Massachusetts, and serving clients all over New England. With me today, I am honored to have Cheryl Fazano of Mental Health Association. Cheryl joined MHA in 2013. Before joining, Cheryl held the position of CEO, President, and Chief Financial Officer at New Hope in Connecticut. And Cheryl has a bachelor's degree in accounting and an MBA from Western New England University. Welcome, Cheryl, and thank you so much for being with me today. Thanks, Delcy. It's nice to be here. So, Cheryl, if you could, let's start by just talking about what drew you to the uh, MHA organization and to kind of just the industry of nonprofits in general. You know, when I when I went into nonprofits, which was kind of my first job, I sort of fell into it. I had no intention of spending my career in nonprofits. I actually had an accounting degree at the time, and so I was thinking all different things. But as soon as I got my first job in nonprofits, I was uh, I it was for me and I knew it was for me. So that's kind of how I got into it. And it's interesting because that's exactly what brought me to my love for technology. And I really do love technology. Um, at my first nonprofit, when I started, believe it or not, there was actual, actually no use of technology at all. There weren't any computers. Um, there was no network. It was, it really was very, very, and it was a small nonprofit. Um, so I brought in the first computer, which meant that basically I was my own tech guy. But I didn't really know a lot about computers at the time, so I learned. I Googled, I YouTubed, I did whatever I had to do. Um, but that was kind of my introduction to technology as well as just falling into the nonprofit world. And is there is something in particular about the work that MHA does that has really drawn you um, to that organization? You know what I love about MHA is we really provide services across the entire spectrum. So we provide, you know, um, services to people with intellectual disabilities, people with mental health, people with substance use, um, people with acquired brain injuries. So it's such a large scope um, that it really, it really drew my attention there. So I, I feel like, and I feel like MHA is such a good program. We do such good work and make such a difference in people's lives. And I guess you can say that about all nonprofits, but I'm, I say that considerably about MHA. Of course, we all certainly have a passion for the one that we get to see the impact of in real life. So you've already spoken about this a little bit, but before we go any further into the interview, tell us how technology savvy do you describe yourself to be or do you think that you are? I do think that I'm technology savvy. Um, I have been told that I know just enough to make me dangerous, um, <laughs> which I'm not sure if that's a compliment or not, but I, I take it. <laughs> um, I think that when people think about tech savvy, um, they think about, you know, how to boot up a computer, you know, how to send text, you use, you know, you have the greatest, latest iPhone or the latest, greatest tech gadgets. But really, I think that being tech savvy is essentially someone's ability to be smart with technology because you can do all of that stuff and still not really be smart with technology. For me, it's an intuitive sense of how to work with whatever device or technology that I'm currently working on. Um, I think that 
that is a, a tech savvy um, implication. Um, but it also really, I think, encompasses the concept of how technology works and the use of technology should enhance productivity, it should enhance efficiency. Um, it means really incorporating technology into my life, both personally and professionally. And I certainly do that. Do you want me I to give you some examples? Sure, yeah, that'd be great. So in my personal life, I use, I utilize technology in so many ways. For instance, I deposit checks using my mobile phone, so it saves me that trip to the bank. Although, honestly, who gets checks anymore with platforms <laughs> like Venmo and Cash App and those? So I don't get too many checks anymore, but I also use those other things. I remotely start my car from a satellite no matter where I am. I can open my front door with an app. Um, on my cell phone from my desk at work. Gone are the days where I need a key for my front door. Shopping, forget about that. We don't even want to talk about shopping. Um, <laughs> smart TV technology. You know, there's so many things. But I think that as a leader in, in an agency, I think that it's very important to be tech savvy. Um, I And when I think about that, I think that one of the things that makes me tech savvy is I'm not afraid to try new things. I love exploring new websites. I love exploring new kinds of software. Um, and I can find the answer on anything, like I said to you earlier, on Google or YouTube if you have any problems. But as a leader, I think that it's important to try new things and to look for the next best technology or software. Um, it increases productivity and efficiency because so much can be achieved in so much less time. Um, but it's important to make the commitment to make an investment, an initial investment in technology, whether it's purchasing equipment, upgrading software, um, investing time in training and research. And then it's so important to, to continue that investment because outdated technology can actually be more harmful than no technology at all. Yeah, I couldn't agree more. And I think that what you said about just having that philosophy of as a leader, embracing technology and leaning into technology, I think is really important. And it does set a the cadence for the rest of the organization that we're going to look for tech as a potential way to make things faster, smoother, better, as opposed to fear tech or try to avoid it. So I think that's terrific. Which kind of brings me uh, a little bit into my next question. MHA has been around for a long time. You've been there since 2013. How has technology impacted the work that MHA does, both kind of at, you know, within the operations, but also at a higher level? How has it impacted the way that you serve the individuals that you serve? So that's a loaded question because, <laughs> because technology has impacted business in so many different ways. I mean, in every single way that we do business, whether it's at our office, whether it's at it's with our um, participants. And when I say in every single way, I'm talking about the way we plan, the way we operate, the way we manage, um, the way we market, the way we hire, even the way that we communicate with each other. Um, one of the big things I think that that makes a difference, and I'll talk about the uh, the impact it has on our participants in a minute, but um, things like cloud computing, like that's one of the, the things that I think is really kind of up and coming and has been much bigger in the last several years. 
Um, and we find ourselves using a lot more cloud computing, but there's business intelligence tools, collaboration tools. Um, we have many programs that are in the cloud now, our accounting software, our electronic medical records. We even have a work order system that's cloud-based. Um, and you know the benefits is it's minimized costs and easy access for everybody from anywhere at all. Um, so it doesn't, you don't need a VPN, you don't need a virtual gateway, you don't need any of those things. You only have to have the internet to access it. So that's, um, so, so that's a big thing. In our company, the product is the service that we provide to the people with disabilities. Sure. So our staff requires so much ongoing training, it can be really difficult to manage. Um, we've implemented online training using a software program in the cloud that has literally revolutionized the time and energy it takes to train hundreds of people. We have 500 people in our agency and every single licensing body needs everybody to have a little bit different training. And so that's been, so that's made a huge difference. Um, and, you know, additionally, there's reporting and analytical features built into that program. So what used to take us literally hours to report on takes seconds. It's just the click of a button and we can, we have all those analytics. We know who needs training. We know who doesn't have it. We can provide it to our licensing bodies. So it's, it's really, it's really great. Hiring people is another thing that's kind of really, really um, big. It's uh, the way that people are hired has changed so much and it's much, it's so much more competitive. I mean, obviously gone are the days of the newspaper, but people go on online job platforms and they can, in a, in a couple of clicks of the button, they've applied to 20 places. So it's so much more competitive for us. Um, and so we get a lot more resumes, but we also have to do a lot more tracking and we have applicant tracking software and, you know, all of those kinds of things that allow you to make adjustments really quickly if what you're doing isn't working. Um, I mean, it sounds like in a lot of ways you guys have embraced technology and it's amazing, you know, this is the seventh episode. Nobody's brought up a learning management system before and leveraging that technology as a way to train and develop employees. And it's one that I also agree is incredibly powerful. We're rolling out a program later this year because I think that it is an enormous opportunity to your point, to be able to make sure that your staff, whether it's for licensure or compliance or just for their own benefit, get the training they need in a way that works for them and being able to track that and report on that. So I'm glad you brought that up. Uh, I didn't mean to cut you off. So what are what are the other ways that you're using technology to serve your, I think you call them participants? Yep, yep, yep. Um, so, I mean, I guess I want to talk a little bit when I talk about that is adaptive um, technology. So we, so we, um, we use a lot of adaptive technology and it's, it's, it really is kind of a, an interesting concept. And when we're looking at it, it's, it takes a lot of time and a lot of energy um, because the population of the people that we work with is, it's a very important aspect of independence for our individuals. And it's so complicated that it almost takes a full-time person to manage, um, you know, to be sure that we're using the latest technology, figuring out how to pay for it because that's not in a lot of our contracts. Sure. And then we have to train the individuals and the staff in how to use it. 
So we have smart houses where the emphasis is really on voice activated devices. We have mm -hmm. smart mirrors. We have devices that help people to move better, to shower better, even to sleep better. And we also use a lot of software solutions. So we have an, an acquired brain injury um, division. And so we really use a lot of software to help people to kind of advance in where they are in their acquired brain injury. And the great thing about the software is that it also tracks the progress. So they can physically see that it's getting better or whatever. So I think that's the biggest uh, the biggest way that it affects our uh, the people that we serve is the adaptive pieces. And that's incredible. And it, it, I think that you guys are probably at least among many of the organizations that I know, a little bit ahead of the curve in trying to pilot and test out some of those technologies. But as you look ahead beyond what you're doing today, where do you think technology is going to impact your organization in the next three to five years? Where do you see this continuing to go? I suspect that we'll have more voice activated kind of devices. Um, I imagine that, um, you know, I think that we are we don't do a good job of sort of our everyday um, kinds of tasks, like for instance, shopping. I shop online, <laughs> but we don't do that like so much at our at our um, houses. So I think that we'll start to move a lot more towards those kinds of things. And you know, as we're moving towards those kinds of things, we'll probably see that we're getting product delivery through drones and all different kinds of things. Um, I. Uh, I think that I think that mobile devices will become much more of a primary means of interaction. And so I think that for our participants as well as for us, that can that can kind of make a, a difference too. I think with 5G, there's so much more ability. And and there's so much, so many people now just use mobile devices. They don't sure. have laptops, they don't have computers. I'm not there. I have to have a laptop, I have to have a desktop. I have to have a tablet and I have to have a phone, <laughs> but that's me. Um, and I think that as systems become more sophisticated, there'll be a lot more emphasis on data and metrics. Mm -hmm. And we'll have the ability to be able to do that both with our, with the people that we serve as well as in the larger kind of scope of our agency. Is there anything in the adaptive technology space that you are have started to hear about that's exciting to you that you think could be have a significant impact? So, yes, there's a couple of things. One of them is we, all of our employees uh, that work with our participants are med certified. So they actually give medication to our participants. They're not nurses. They're just, it's a course that they get certified through the state of uh, Massachusetts. And there's a, um, and we're actually kind of just piloting now. There's a med machine, which actually puts you know, you put the pills in there and then it actually makes sure that the participants are getting the right medication at the right time. And it's giving them more independence because somebody doesn't have to do it for them. Mm -hmm. So that I feel like is kind of exciting. The other thing, and I just, I heard about this the other day and I'm, I, I just, it gives me goosebumps is we have a, um, it's a device, it's almost like a belt that goes around the person's uh, middle. And it's for people who are who can't really walk well, they're hunched over, they're using walkers, and it actually helps somebody to walk and it eliminates, or it reduces, I won't say eliminate, it reduces the fall risk. But the other thing that it does is it allows people to do things that 
you need to do standing up that you can't do when you're hunched over a walker or whatever. Things like looking people in their eyes, things like giving people a hug, um, those kinds of things, you know, and you don't think about that stuff, but it's there, you know, there's a lot out there. Um, The other day, I just heard about smart gloves, which are for people who are using um, sign language that actually will communicate to the computer and put the words while they're doing sign language for people who don't understand. So there's so, so much out there, Delcy, so much. There is. I, I did a presentation for an organization working with individuals with developmental disabilities. And as part of the research for that, I got to interview a lot of people and, you know, everything from like exosuits, you know, to your point, you mentioned kind of the waist belt, there's entire, you know, suits that are the bottom half of somebody's body they put on that allow them to climb mountains. Um, I mean, just totally replacing these things that maybe feel like we've lost and bringing them back. And I think I agree with you completely. Those are the things that give me goosebumps is not so much about adding what we don't have, but restoring what we've lost, I think is a really powerful application for technology. And probably the part that I personally am most excited about is kind of restoring some of those things. I agree. It's really amazing. And it makes me proud of what we do. It really does. So along the same lines, is there any technology that you can imagine coming down the pipe that would be disruptive to the industry, that would be a total game changer uh, to the work that MHA is doing? I don't know if I believe that kind of technology is coming down the pipe, but if if I had to say, you know, there's a lot of talk about remote monitoring. So right now we have people that live in our houses and we have staff that's there all of the time. And we also have people who live in some of our you know, apartments. And so people come in and visit them. And there's a lot of talk about remote technology, which is somebody sitting at a desk like this, kind of watching what's going on. So it may, I don't know that it'll eliminate the need for staffing, but it certainly might reduce it. And I'll tell you, it, when in this kind of arena, it's, it's a bad time for staffing. Very bad. We have so many vacancies. So it's not a bad thing. Um, but I'm not sure how that would impact our industry. Yeah. Yeah, I've heard a lot about that technology. I think you mentioned some of it earlier. It's a combination of smart devices in the home, wearable technology, like you've actually been talking about, even some more wearable technology. And then you start to kind of amass enough data, as you said earlier, where you can start to really understand, is somebody okay? Are they safe? Are they healthy? And have it be more of a, an intervention when necessary, as opposed to a constant presence. And I think to a point you made earlier, not only does that potentially help an organization from a staffing standpoint, you mentioned privacy being a fundamental kind of independence being critical to the individuals you serve. And I think that in some ways, this technology at least comes with a promise of maybe giving people back some more independence where they don't have somebody living with them all the time or constantly supervising them in person and they can feel a little bit more like a person. And that's really the goal of everything that we do, no matter who it's for, is to help people to live to their most independent level. And for some people, that means they may never get out of bed again, but they can talk. For other people, it means they're going to be able to live on their own again. Absolutely. And one of the things that I've actually been following with a ton of fascination is leveraging augmented reality as a way to create companionship. 
and that you can have somebody who is maybe feeling very lonely and as a result, maybe suffering mental health side effects of that, have a digital companion um, that actually does satisfy some of that kind of request and some of that demand and kind of need to interact. Um, and there's some really interesting, fascinating work going on in this, a lot of it coming into Japan around the ability to bond with and connect with these digital companions, taking the forms of all kinds of things like a, a dog, a, a person, a robot, but just this idea that you have somebody you can socialize with. And I think that sounds to many of us still like sci-fi and still a little bit maybe strange, but it's, it, there are cases where it's really having a significant impact in a positive way on uh, individuals. You know what it sounds like to me? Expensive. <laughs> <laughs> You'd be surprised. Um, I won't go too far into it, but there's this device called Gatebox that was in Japan. And it, Japan had a very high population of single men um, for a number of reasons in the country. And the Gatebox is, it looks a little bit kind of like an Alexa like device that you put in your home. But instead of it just being a speaker and a tower, it's a hologram of a person. And you, you interact with it in the same ways. You know, can you turn on the light? Can you do this? Can you turn the music on? Can you do that? But they added an enormous amount of personality to the device where it checks in and says, hey, how are you feeling? And it texts you during the day to say, hey, I'm thinking about you. And it, it, it overlays a digital assistant like an Alexa with a much more of an emotional kind of reaction and response and it relatively cost effectively, but in a way that actually had a very strong positive impact on the individual's who were part of the uh, study using these devices. Um, where that goes, I don't know. It's an interesting thing, and to be curious to just kind of follow that and see where does that go down the road. Agreed. It sounds fascinating. Yeah, if you go to YouTube and type in Gatebox, you can watch a video, the promotional video for the product when they started selling it. Um, and I've used it in a couple of my presentations because it is a fascinating video. It will really surprise you, I think. I will definitely do that. Thank you. So now kind of shifting gears a little bit, when it comes to technology, what's your biggest fear? What keeps you up at night, either literally or metaphorically? I guess I worry about the loss of, of the, the data since everything we have is part of a digital footprint and there's no way to recreate it. You know, it's not like the old days where we had a paper file and we had it on the computer. Um, so I guess I worry about that, but we have a lot of contingencies in place. So I, I don't, I'm not so worried that um, that's a reality. I, I do worry about a major virus, ransomware, scams some event that will impact our systems. And, you know, I've heard about ransomware where people have literally had to pay to, to let their software go. I mean, it's, it's kind of crazy. But I also worry about making the wrong choice for new tech technology that we're considering. It's, technology is pretty expensive. It's worth it. And implementation is a very thoughtful and fastidious process so if we make the wrong choice, and I, I'm not going to tell you we never have, um, we take a big hit if we've identified the wrong solution. No, I think that's a great point. And, you know, we, we make these investments and they tend to have to stick with them for four, five, six years, sometimes longer. And it, it can be, it can be, I think, intimidating at times to make those decisions because it is, it's such an investment, not only of money, but of time and resources and adoption you know, change management. You can't ask your staff to change the way they work 10 times a year. 
Um, I've tried, it doesn't work out well. <laughs> you have to have some sort of cadence yeah, there. Yeah. So I think, I think it's very valid. And you know, it's when you're purchasing these kinds of softwares and this kind of technology, you're sort of at the mercy of the salesperson and they're good, Delphi. They are good. So, yeah, you know, we've learned over the years, like, the kinds of things we need to see. Like, show us, don't just tell us. Um, yeah. And those kinds of things, because they are savvy. They are. Yeah, we savvy. call it a vaporware, where they tell you about a feature that will be coming soon, but is not quite ready yet, but it's just around the corner. Um, no, you're 100% right. And I think the other thing that we really stress when we work with businesses is, make sure that you're not buying the technology for the technology. Identify a problem and make sure the technology solves the problem and work backwards from there. Because to your point, the salespeople are great and they're going to make it sound like this thing walks on water and it's going to change your life and you'll never know what you did without it. But if it's not systematically solving a very systemic problem in the organization and that's its fundamental purpose, you can buy tech for tech's sake that doesn't actually accomplish anything. Good point. That's a great point. Have you or MHA ever experienced any kind of major unplanned outage or any cyber event? I don't know that. I don't know what you would consider major. I mean, we certainly have had times where our internet has gone out or whatever. And, you know, so we have accounting software that's in the cloud. And I have 15 people who work in my fiscal department. So if our, if our internet or their systems go down for a day or an hour, I mean, it's not maybe a major unplanned event, but now i got 15 people with nothing to do. I mean, yep. can they file? Can they do this? Can sure. they do that? But so much of what we do is actually through that software. Um, and the other thing that, that we've had is, and it's not really an outage or a cyber event, but, you know, as we've grown, because we've grown from probably, I don't know, 50 computers to 400 computers. Wow. So our our systems, our, um, you know, our connections, we have 35 different locations. So we've had to upgrade a lot of systems in order to manage that. And we don't always upgrade them ahead of the curve. Sure. We start to have problems. And that's when we when we start to do that because everything is expensive. Yeah, and as a nonprofit, I don't think you're alone in that. It's a yeah. hard thing to keep up with. So you've alluded to this already a couple of times, but we often talk about technology from the lens of making things better. What situations have you found where it actually seemed like the technology made things worse? So I think technology is wonderful, and I think you can tell from our conversation, I love technology. I love being ahead of the curve. I love it. And it's wonderful when it works, but honestly, it can be pretty problematic when it doesn't. And it can be something as simple as there's a glitch in the email system that doesn't allow me to get somebody's email. And I don't know that I'm not getting that email until I find out that a funding source or a licensor or a, you know, or a representative or a, a legislator, whoever has been trying to get me and can't like that's that's pretty problematic. And we, we depend so much on email and, and that that kind of a thing that, you know, it's it's sometimes I think our dependence on technology can be problematic. Yeah, I think that's a great point. And to your the other comment you made that dependency also means when it's down, we don't have a lot to do because we, it is how we function. <laughs> it really is. It really is. And so you've 
And I would 100% agree, definitely put you in the category of a techie and somebody who really likes technology. But tell us a little bit about what are you doing to keep up with everything going on in technology space, especially as it relates to what might help out MHA? So I, I read and I research a lot. I listen to other people who are trying new things. I have people who surround me that also love technology that are also kind of doing that same thing. Um, I, think it's, I think it's important to stay ahead of the curve with technology, but I'm always looking and listening for that next best concept. And most of all, like I said earlier, I'm not afraid to try new things. I'm not afraid for us to step into the into the light and try things that are a little bit different because we've seen it work so many times. Oh, that's phenomenal. I think that's exactly the right approach. So before I let you go, we're going to switch gears here uh, and we'll move into something that we call fast questions from Flat Delzy. Kelsey, and good afternoon. In just a moment, I'm going to read you a series of choices. Your job is to, as quickly as possible, just tell me which is your preference. You ready? Yes. Tacos or burritos? Burritos. iPhone or Android? Android. Cats or dogs? Dogs. Bagels or donuts? Donuts, for sure. Windows or Mac? Windows. Phone call or text? Text. Ocean or lake? Ocean. Vermont or New Hampshire? Vermont. Superman or Batman? Batman. And finally, chocolate or vanilla? Definitely chocolate. All right. Well, thank you, Cheryl, so much for being our guest today. I know that our audience is really going to enjoy listening to this interview, and I really appreciated your time. Kelsey, thank you so much. I appreciate it. 